When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Today's episode is Season 2, Episode 5, Nick and Nora, Sid and Nancy. The episode description from Netflix is... Lorelai tries to dissuade Luke from allowing his relative to live with him. Rory finds herself attracted to another boy. Wow, some strategic, vague language there. (laughs) (laughs) I actually found that to be, like, not vague enough, honestly. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, you're just putting it out there that Rory is attracted to another boy in the episode? And it's a bit misleading, like, Lorelai dissuading Luke. I feel like she was warning him, but not trying to be like, don't do it. Either way. Yeah. A lackluster description. (laughs) But Jess is finally here. Yes. Good things come to those who wait. (laughs) It was well worth the wait. I feel like once we get to the scene where Jess appears, I'm going to need to do a little bit of justification, but we'll get there. (laughs) Don't sweat it. Yeah, we'll break it down. (laughs) But before we do that, why don't we try our Talking Fast segment? Okay. Are you ready? Yes. You are? Okay. All right. Uh, Then on your mark, get set, go. It's finally the first day of Chilton, so we get a bit of a time frame for once. And Luke gets a weird phone call while they're at breakfast, and sounds bad. (laughs) Uh... Later on, Lorelai finds him, like, bringing things in, and I guess his nephew is coming to live with him. Luke is buying a whole bunch of packaged foods, which is weird for Luke. And Rory, at the same time, is at Chilton, and she and Paris are still having issues. And Paris is the editor of The Franklin and assigns her an interview with Max Medina, and Jess shows up, and it's bad. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of these days, I'll... By, like, season six, I'll have figured out how to not just labor on the first five minutes of the episode. <laughs> on the uh, packaged foods yeah. that Luke has bought and things like that. <laughs> yeah, this is not the moment for analysis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you ready? I suppose so. Okay. Go. It's the first day of school. Rory works at the Franklin. Her feud with Paris continues. Paris gives her the parking lot assignment, which Rory nails. And then she has to interview Max Medina, which is a bit awkward, but there's some closure there. Meanwhile, Luke is counseling. I mean, Lorelai is counseling Luke about Jess, who arrives and is very sarcastic, which I love. He wants to like bail on this dinner. He does. He gets in conflict with Lorelai, but he has this attraction to Rory, it seems like. And... Uh, he exits the door a lot without words. <laughs> I forgot the word first stop there. I just like blurted mm-hmm. out a syllable. <laughs> Do not continue. <laughs> Blah. <laughs> that okay. was pretty good. That was difficult. Yeah. It was kind of a, it was an eventful episode, I think. I don't know if it yeah. was anticipation or mm-hmm. if really just, it, it really did feel like the first 
or a first episode for a season kind of like we've been talking about that with Mm -hmm. other episodes they seem misplaced (laughs) yeah yeah it was like I mean there was definitely the excitement that we've been building for episodes now but um (laughs) it felt action-packed like it only took place over a couple days but there's a lot of like back and forth like while Rory's at Chilton something is simultaneously happening elsewhere and um it like set new things in motion too new characters new relationships Mm -hmm. new like Franklin feud stuff so (laughs) I agree this one had a lot we didn't we didn't see Dean at all the entire episode which is foreboding for him Not yeah. even a glance <laughs> or a mention of Dean here. We didn't see... Well, no, we did see Lane. Never mind. So we saw everybody mm-hmm. but Dean, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Poor Sucker. Dean. But I don't feel too sad. <laughs> uh, speaking of Lane, the cold open is at Luke's the morning before the first day of school. As we might expect, Rory is rather anxious about this and she like has a new locker, she has new routes, all of these things that would rustle up, you know, Rory's anxiety as a nerdy girl. (laughs) But Lane enters and I love this. She has the most giant encyclopedia of like music and bands that I've ever seen. She's asking Rory to get her CDs from a shop that is near Chilton. Uh, Lane is a dedicated scholar. She's like going through bands of the 60s, it seems like. Um, She has like a list of who she needs. And I just love that about her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's way more like her musical taste is so diverse. And she's also just willing to try anything out, which I definitely am not always. I really related to Rory in this opening scene. I get the same way about like new experiences and like the beginning of a school year or something. I have to be everywhere early. I need like time to figure things out. So I understood her anxiety. Yeah, that's me going to the airport. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like that stereotypical airport dad that wants to get there hours early. (laughs) And I can see how Lorelai is not that kind of personality because Rory's like, can you just drive me to school already? But Lorelai wants to order like coffee and donuts and all of these things. And Rory just wants to go. (laughs) Yeah. I remember when I was about to leave for New Zealand where I did a study abroad in my undergrad for six months. And I was staying with my parents for a couple weeks beforehand And it was the day that we were going to be leaving and my flight didn't leave until like 10 o'clock. So I didn't really need to be at the airport until seven-ish. And by three in the afternoon, I was just sitting there like in the front room just being like, any minute now. I think my parents ended up dropping me off at like six. So I just got there and then wandered the airport for like three hours. But did you miss your flight? No, No, I did not. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, (laughs) mm -hmm. And speaking of characters who I think would also get to the airport that early, we see Taylor enter Luke's at this point. In tow are a bunch of like cub or boy scouts. Um, They've just finished outdoor survival training and there's a lot of antics in this scene. Very like classic Stars Hollow kind of jokes about young boys wanting to order fries things like that Luke making fun of Taylor for wearing shorts um 
And in this conversation, as you mentioned, and you're talking fast, Luke gets this like foreboding phone call full of foreshadowing where we don't we only hear Luke's side, but he's saying like, you do what you want, you make the arrangements. And he comes off the phone saying, do you have a sister to one of the young boys? (laughs) And then he says, you have my sympathies. And the boy's like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's great. But I was just thinking about, like, they're talking about Jess. Like, that was it, mm-hmm. pretty much. Finally. Mm-hmm. He's here. Yeah, finally. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we'll get into this in later seasons, but I love the character of Jess's mom. And it's kind mm-hmm. of sad. Like, the, the way she's portrayed in these first few, like, until, and I think until they cast her, probably, and really figured out her character, the way mm-hmm. she's portrayed is just pretty neglectful and it's it's pretty sad yeah that's actually my friday night dinner critique is how liz is portrayed which does come up in the next scene following this uh where like uh lorelei has decided to follow up with luke she sees him outside with all these groceries and she wants to know like who are those for therefore just his nephew so they get in this conversation about like how he's coming to visit And like you said, I feel like the portrayal of Liz that we get from Luke's perspective here is an incredibly negative one. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, yeah, it's really colored for me by what we know of Liz later on. Like, I don't think she's a neglectful parent at all. I don't know. I guess um, Luke's just saying, like, my sister can't handle him. She probably spent, like, five or six minutes thinking about it rather than trying um he calls her a nut job at one point um blames her for like leaving town when they got when they graduated and for not working at the shop like he did basically it seems like there's like a lot of resentment built up on Luke's part and I feel like he's just you know he's not really trying to understand her side of things at all he's making so many assumptions which I think perhaps is meant to build up the whole like Luke thinks he'll be able to handle just no problem. He just thinks like Liz hasn't been able to focus for long enough to do something about it. But clearly, I think he realizes that that is not the case by the end of the episode that Jess is like a lot of work. <laughs> so I don't know, I guess like in the end, my critique is of this like, overly simplified and one sided view we get of Liz at this point and on Luke's side of things like he just needs to take her experience into perspective a bit more I feel like there's an angle of sexism going on here too and that's really all I got for now but I'm glad they cast Liz and include her later on more so that we get her side of things in the story later yeah I think you're right I think there's one point when Lorelai even tries to get Luke to, like, consider Liz's point of view. I think when Luke says that his mother died, Lorelai's like, well, that must have been really hard on her. Luke does not consider that at all. He just, like, sees it all kind of as he's the victim. And I think this happens often with siblings. I've definitely felt this in relation to my siblings. Like, they do something, I'm like, well... Uh, my my feelings here are the ones that really matter <laughs> yeah but, yeah I can't wait until we see more of Liz and I I mean she did raise Jess until he was 17 and 
I remember being 17 and being very difficult. I remember like my oldest brother was a terror from my parents when he was that age. So, you know, parenting a 17 year old, like they're just about to be able to leave, (laughs) leave and do whatever they want. It's just hard. There's so many hormones and like, you know, it's, it's not easy for anybody. And I think Luke finds that out pretty quickly. Yeah, like, I, it's just not a good, well, in some ways, this is a good episode for Luke, but in other ways, like, he critiques both Liz and Lorelai's parenting mm-hmm. at different moments. Uh, clear, he's, like, lashing out at Lorelai at the time, so it's helpful to contextualize it there, but um, perhaps part, I'm just, like, I did get annoyed with him at certain points, like, <laughs> who do you think you are? <laughs> You need to chill out and, like, learn from the people around you a bit more and stop making these assumptions about, like, Liz, Jess, Lorelai, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah, there's, as somebody who is not a parent but has many nieces and nephews, <laughs> if I was, like, if they were to come and live with me even just for a little while with no warning whatsoever, and they're toddlers, I would be completely lost, so... Luke needs a little bit more thought into this which he really like we see in this scene that he hasn't really put much thought at all into what's happening which he's barely given any warning so nobody can blame him but he gets like an air mattress he has to go and buy sheets air mattresses especially at this point were just like balloons to sleep on (laughs) they weren't very comfortable yeah well, during all of this, we get the first day at Chilton. Um, Rory seems to be doing well, but then Paris comes up and glares at her. <laughs> and um, so Rory tries to attempt to like mend things. She goes and talks to Paris about how they need to coexist as they're all like grabbing their handouts at the front of the class, which I thought was cute. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um It's interesting at this point, Paris seems to be considering Rory's point. Like, yes, we will need to coexist. We will be on the same paper and everything. And the conversation ends with Paris saying, okay, um, we will meet at the Franklin today at four (laughs) o'clock. And And if it it. (laughs) seems too good to be true, that's because it is. But (laughs) more on that later. This is the very much the back and forth nature of this episode. Yeah. (laughs) Building tension. Mm -hmm. And the next scene um, is Luke waiting at the bus stop. And who could it be? I feel like I should let you take this one away. (laughs) Uh, Who's on the bus, Suzanne? (laughs) It's not the first person who gets off the bus or the second. But the third is this surly looking teenager who's actually getting my Lorelai's closet for the outfit he's wearing nice. because it's that puffer vest <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's wearing that like a black puffer vest with um like green camo thermal type long sleeve shirt underneath and those baggy jeans that you only really saw in the 2000s um mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing I mean nothing is specifically bad boy I think except for the expression on his face (laughs) because we could see Dean wearing something similar and not being portrayed in the same way although as we've talked about 
so far he's turned a little bit more surfer boy lately so (laughs) (laughs) i think in fact the puffer vest is actively not a bad boy fashion choice yeah so the fact that we still get the bad boy vibe with the vest included just shows like how much of an iconic bad boy he is (laughs) that that attitude is coming through Mm -hmm. the vest which feels way too preppy to me yeah (laughs) and though his his attitude like he doesn't even like in the first second on screen you can tell that this guy is grumpy (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like he's just unhappy and he's got that like boiling rage that you only ever really get when you're like 16 or 17 and being told what to do (laughs) yeah yeah they just stand there like looking at each other it's like a very terse interaction from the very beginning and both of them are not like men of words (laughs) either it's so like he i'm trying to remember maybe the first full line we get from jess is when Luke is like giving him the briefest tour of the apartment and he's mm-hmm. Luke says he got cornflakes and just says, "Wow, that's great." <laughs> <laughs> Tony the Tiger <laughs> reference, just sarcasm like right off the bat coming yeah. in hot. <laughs> he's like, I think he's on par with Lorelai and Rory for their references and like wittiness. Um, yeah, his is just so much more sarcastic and biting than either of them are. But he, like as we see later on, he can spar with Lorelai in a, in verbal sparring very easily. <laughs> he can keep up with her. And there's the verbal cues of him always having a book in hand mm-hmm. that let us know he's also on like a different kind of intellectual level than say Dean for example (laughs) even if he's not a man of many words like we're like oh but he he's got a brain it seems like (laughs) I wanted I want to do like a segment for as long as Jess is here about like the most sarcastic line shared in the episode because he had like multiple that I just I couldn't write all of them (laughs) down but He's got some great one-liners that just are so dripping in, like, irony and sarcasm. You could call it Jess's witticisms. Is that a word? Witticism? It could be. Something like that. We'll we'll (laughs) brainstorm it. (laughs) Yeah, workshop that. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. He, I, like, couldn't even keep up with most of his sarcasm because it was just, like, writing it down because it was just too great. I was going to ask you, like... Is his entrance in the show what you remember it to be? What are your feelings about it? Yeah, I think, because I I remember, like, in the later seasons, I feel like he's one of the characters with the most distinct character arcs throughout the entire show. Mm -hmm. Definitely. He almost had a spinoff, right? Yeah. 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 And he is, like, the most, um, he matures more than any of the other young characters I think Uh, maybe Lane is up there or Paris but Roy definitely is not Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I think part of the reason that I like Jess the best out of any of Roy's bows um, which is a kind of a weird I mean I have to acknowledge it's a weird thing to be on like a team Jess or a team Dean or like team edward or team jacob it's just a weird thing to choose to do (laughs) yeah but but we do it (laughs) yeah but i like jess 
because he's multidimensional in really surprising ways that I feel like you didn't really get to see and you still don't really get to see about with a lot of especially uh, men and male characters, especially teenagers. <laughs> like he's allowed to be this bookworm and nerd and he's also obviously very hormonal and grumpy and he's had a pretty rough life it seems like he's had he hasn't had a stable home um even if Liz has been a good mother it sounds like they move around a lot and she dates a whole bunch of different people so he's had like varying influences throughout his life and he doesn't always make the right choices he is often a bit mean to people and kind of toys with people I think just for his own fun which isn't a great thing to do and I'm sure we'll (laughs) critique it at many points but I just like his character he's just so like charming in his grumpiness and so relatable I think Dean is just so flat you know but Jess has like so many different dimensions yeah I think all what you say makes great points like the character arc and even the what we might describe as his negative qualities now mm-hmm. are still appealing for like <laughs> the grumpiness, the sarcasm, the troubled teen bad boy. Like it's still so appealing and interesting to think about. And I mean appealing not only in like the attraction sense, but just like an interesting character to have on screen and to have interacting with other people. Because Dean could be perfectly like attractive as a boyfriend, but as a character, he's boring for us to really watch and we just want more um so yeah I agree with you and I you actually made me think about um as you were describing Jess's childhood it's interesting the parallels between him and Rory in that sense of like Rory also being the child of a single mother who like dates a lot and has to work a lot um and like a major difference being that Rory gets to be like loved and supported by this whole community where I feel like we get the impression Jess is not and he's even like actively like antagonized by it I mean he does this a bit too like he takes from the money at Taylor's and whatnot but it's not like people are rushing to support him either so in a way it's almost like a foil of the different kinds of childhoods and the like adults they produce and that that's the fact that Jess becomes even more admirable in the end in terms of character growth speaks so much to him and like just his own <laughs> his own individual choices um, and perseverance throughout life and whatnot. And he's, you know, just hot too and charming. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I also like I just remember as a teenager when I was a kid, I was like, Everybody thought I was an angel, mostly because I never spoke. Mm. Um, But by the time I was a teenager, I, like, rebelled in a way. I didn't necessarily rebel against my parents as much as I could have, although I'm sure they would would say that I did. (laughs) But especially, like, the physical image I portrayed to people was, like, very, I don't know, punk and emo and stuff. And I just remember, like, the... Like, the change in perception of me from people who had known me as a child, and then all of a sudden, as a teenager, they were just, like, they thought I was, like, the blight of the earth, even though I had never done anything to them. And I just, like, that's how Stars Hollow is seeing Jess. And I think he's playing into it because he likes 
he likes seeing people act a little yeah. bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, like part of his rebellion is simply performative and mm-hmm. a response to how people view him and treat him as a rebel, certainly. And it's also just like so fun because it's not a storyline we've had yet about like mm-hmm. an outsider in Stars Hollow that we get to stay with for a long time and get to like have their perspective and like exist in this place that is like hell to them (laughs) which was actually my stars hollow moment speaking of um, (laughs) nice yeah when um just like leaves the apartment he takes a book and is out of there immediately like without word to luke and he like walks out of the shop um sorry the restaurant and he just surveys the town (laughs) and the camera angle follows his eye line as he like looks across the town and the various towns people and the song playing is going like this is hell this is hell (laughs) and one of the other lyrics is like it never gets better or worse and when the camera pans back around jess's expression like is so hilarious it's just like disgust almost (laughs) like disbelief Oh, it's so good. Comedy gold. Yeah, they were like looking at people setting up fall foliage and stuff. There were like, there were so many just weird random people walking down the street. There was like a mother and daughter or something matching bright pink outfits. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like fairies or something. <laughs> yeah. And his, yeah, his reaction is great. This also reminds me of when I moved in my senior year of high school and was all of a sudden in a new place and like it was by all accounts a quaint like suburb of buffalo and had like now i look back and i'm like this place is charming it's great but at the time i would just like look at it and be like oh my god what am i doing here and it was a bigger town than the town i grew up in so i really didn't have that much to complain about but it was just like i don't belong here so more of me just uh relating to Jess (laughs) yeah and it's just so fun because we get to see Stars Hollow from someone else's eyes in a way that I don't know if we have yet to this point in the show like we get comments from Emily or Luke you know critiques of the town people point out how weird it is to anyone else who's not like (laughs) an insider but to actually like have us be aligned at that point through like Jess's focal like POV is really interesting and I just think it was really well done and it makes you want to know more about his experience in Stars Hollow moving forward I think I think yeah I think that was a good justification of my being on team dress and a justification <laughs> if you will <laughs> uh, I would love to hear from our listeners about more reasons why they are also on team dress Mm-hmm. You're free to disagree mm-hmm. with me, but come with some evidence to back up your side. Yeah. And I will then read your email on the podcast where you can't defend yourself anymore. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm, that's kind of a, that's a rough I've got the power. <laughs> anyway. Uh, later that day, uh, we're still at Chilton as these events are unfolding We discover the fact that while Paris seemed to say they were going to coexist, it seems that she tricked an unsuspecting Rory, and the Franklin meeting actually started at 3 p.m. rather than 4. So Rory is late, 
And in addition to that, she finds out the assignment she's going to get is the iconic parking lot pavement assignment, which I feel like do you re- I feel like everybody remembers this, like mm-hmm. the whole like she writes such a great story about the parking lot. And it's one of the early like victories in terms of Rory's like journalism career. Yeah. One of the <laughs> short, the short victories. <laughs> yeah, I, I seem to remember this being brought up later on, like as kind of proof that she has the journalistic chops for things. Like, I was able to make (laughs) paving the parking lot something worth reading. Um, But I don't remember exactly when that comes in. I think it's not until she's at college. The the thing I do want to say about this, like, continuation of the feud between Paris and Rory, I like that in this year, Rory is, like, playing ball with Paris. You know, like, Rory tried to mend fences, And she's kind of done with that at this point. This kind of marks a turning point where Rory is like confident and she's like giving it back to Paris. She's like, you're going to mess with me? Okay, I'm going to make the most amazing parking lot piece you've ever had. Like she's not really being such a pushover in their feud anymore. Like in season one, I feel like Paris pushed her around, intimidated her. But now Rory is like, okay, if you don't want to be friends, if you don't want to coexist, like I'm going to meet you at your level. And I like the dynamic between them. And I feel like it pushes both of them to be better in a way. Of course, I want them to be friends. But I like this version of them too. I agree. I think it might be at their graduation or something. But doesn't Paris say that like, or maybe their college graduation, that Rory is the only person who ever challenged her? And yeah, I think this is kind of the start of that. And it is great to see Paris kind of put in her place (laughs) sometimes even though she's a great character oh we also get an awkward moment after this scene at the Franklin where Rory goes out the door and almost runs into Max Medina who we have to remember has recently been broken up with by her mom (laughs) and is now her her lit teacher which I thought was an interesting thing to find out (laughs) um And of course, Rory just like turns tail and runs away because it's awkward, understandably. Yeah, like Rory almost runs into people and Max almost runs Mm -hmm. into people trying to get away from each other. And Paris sees this from like she conveniently sees this from a window like their (laughs) Franklin meeting room has a window into a courtyard where I don't know. Either way, we get yet another bit of like foreboding, foreshadowing here that Paris is probably going to use this information um, to, you know, antagonize Rory a bit further. Uh, But we'll get to that in a moment. Back at Luke's, Lorelai has come in and she's asking for news about Jess. Um, Luke says, well, he's gone out and Lorelai starts to kind of question like, well, where did he go to? And um, they kind of get on started on the conversation of like the expectations perhaps of being a guardian <laughs> versus it kind of seems like Luke wants to or thinks that it can just be kind of a cohabitation type thing. <laughs> Um, or that he, yeah, he doesn't need to like make his expectations clear. Lorelai says that he, you know, should at least 
ask where Jess is going. Um, although, yeah, I don't think Jess would have told him. So maybe Luke was justified. But anyway, Jess does walk in and um, Luke introduces him to Lorelai and Jess just kind of stands there like, what is this woman? <laughs> I know. He's like a stone wall. He is so non-responsive in this interaction as well as many others with adults following. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I could like secondhand embarrassment just trying to see Lorelai have a conversation with him. And it like reminded me of trying to talk to students who are Mm non-responsive as well. (laughs) Like I'm like I'm giving it all my all. I'm trying to force extroverted energy to like engage my students and they're just like (laughs) stone-faced like barely there here for attendance points (laughs) yeah that's true I guess we are on the other side of it now Mm -hmm. a little bit I can still remember like it's been almost 15 years since I was 17 (laughs) and I can still remember like the the feeling of having adults just talking at you and not wanting to engage with them but you have to stand there and listen to them and so it's just like one of the most rageful feelings (laughs) yeah and to like counteract this feeling Lorelai like I think she's really thrown off her groove because she is the epitome of an extroverted person that gets along well with other people and Jess's, like, non-engagement with this is probably surprising to her. And I bet Lorelai thought she was going to be able to, like, be a cool adult and relate to the teen, right? Um, so she decides to, like, invite Luke and Jess over to dinner at their place. And I find this... I just think it's so funny that Lorelai is the one pushing this involvement. And it's going to be so ironic, like, later on, knowing everything that happens with um, Rory and Jess mm-hmm. and Lorelai's like aversion to Jess because she's the one right now like forcibly bringing Jess and Rory together like oh you should meet my daughter uh, she'll be a good influence all of this stuff that's like just you wait Lorelai <laughs> yeah it's a uh, an interesting proposal <laughs> so after her this uh, non-conversation between Lorelai and Jess Rory comes in There so far hasn't been a meeting between Rory and Jess, so Rory is kind of like this other world of innocence and pleasantness (laughs) as opposed to Jess. Um, But she is kind of ranting about Paris. Lorelai asks her whether she saw Max. This almost got my Friday night dinner just for like the continued, I don't know, putting Rory in such a weird place you know it reminded me so much of like asking your friend if they saw your crush or your like your ex-boyfriend at the mall or something it's like of course Rory saw Max he's her (laughs) teacher teacher. (laughs) what else do you want to get from this conversation but Mm -hmm. Lorelai does say like you don't need to be weird around him um be normal basically yeah I, I don't know we still we still don't even know how max ever heard that the wedding was yeah. called off <laughs> nobody ever brings that up <laughs> yeah it's so true uh, like did he show up to the wedding and she wasn't there 
I hate to think about it. Um, and like the kind of the final thing that Lorelai and Rory discuss here is Lorelai telling her about like the new boy. She implies that he's not like a trip a chipper guy, <laughs> and um, says they're gonna have them over for dinner. Um, and then later that day. Luke, like, comes home to see Jess, like, camped out on the air mattress with a bunch of, like, junk food surrounding him, and, um, he's smoking cigarettes, too, like, indoors, and, like, I don't know, Luke is just very much, like, a pushover in this moment. He doesn't really do anything about this. He's really letting Jess, like, walk all over him. As Luke is trying to tell him about like the dinner and all of the stuff. And then once again, just like just leaves the room out of the blue. Like, bye, I'm out of here. Um, I think very much Jess is like testing his boundaries in this moment as well as others. And he's succeeding. He's like passing through no boundaries. And, you know, later on, we'll see how Luke finally like deals with this. But it was another painful scene to watch. It's just kind of agonizing. <laughs> yeah, the audacity of Jess here to be smoking yeah. and inside. Like, teenager smoking, I feel like that's normal. Like, that's something I did as a teenager. But smoking inside, inside the house that you're living in, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. <laughs> But yeah, I agree that this is definitely just just testing his boundaries, seeing what he can get away with. And from what Luke is putting off, Jess can get away with anything. So <laughs> we'll see <Yeah>. how that goes. <laughs> we will see that. Uh, we get to a new day at this point in the episode. So that was all, you know, it was a jam-packed first day in that yeah. episode. Um, and this is like in the afternoon after school, once again at Chilton. Which made me think, like, how often do they meet for this newspaper club? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like most after-school clubs are, like, once or twice a week. <laughs> but they do it, like, back-to-back. That that was the first day of school. And now the second day of school, they're already meeting to, like, put a layout in. And Rory already finished her article. Like, were there, there weren't more days, right? This is the very next day. Yeah, because... This newspaper is, like, functioning <laughs> at a high speed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a like an actual daily newspaper. <laughs> yeah, oh I don't know. It's, it is... And, like, the teachers already read through all their articles. That's mm-hmm. just unrealistic. <laughs> I know. It's, this is, like, a dedicated operation. Yeah. I would, I would think that this paper would be maybe weekly. I don't know. I don't remember if my high school had it newspaper we might have had like a bulletin or a newsletter but i would say that would come out like once a month or something like though paris does seem to say that the franklin has been around for a hundred years so i think we're supposed to believe this is some kind of like quality sort of news publication in a way and her um i guess her reaction to rory's paper coming or uh, essay coming across so well is to assign Rory a great um, assignment where she's supposed to interview the best teacher, the voted best teacher. Um, and lo and behold, who would that be? <laughs> but mm-hmm. Max Medina. 
and Rory, of course, reacts to this like she she doesn't want to have to go and interview Max, but Paris is obviously playing this against her, so Rory will do it. It was so vindictive of Paris. Like, this was so cruel. She saw their interaction in the hallway. She knows that something is up between the two of them because they were so awkward. And she's like, oh, what's the problem? Your parent, they're together, aren't they? And I don't know. I was just like, Paris, that is mean, girl. Yeah. <laughs> it was so reminiscent of when Paris told the entire school that she saw Lorelai and Max kissing. And there is no, uh, I feel like if this was a season one, we would have had a scene at the end of the episode where they have like a heart to heart. And Rory mentions like, this was so hard because, you know, they're broken up and she'd be vulnerable. And then they'd like slightly become friends. But mm -hmm. that does not happen in this episode. It's like, no, nope, yeah. this feud is still going strong. <laughs> yeah, we got to maintain this for the whole season. <laughs> We interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor. Are you an impressionable young child? Are you looking for a club where you can learn about following the rules, outdoor survival training, and how to rock an all-khaki outfit? If you answered yes to either of these questions, Taylor's Cub Scouts Troop is for you. Join Taylor, the troop's fearless leader, as he teaches young and old minds alike about the ways of the world. Potential lessons include dressing, like how to rock a pair of shorts even as a grown adult, outdoor survival skills, like sitting under trees and gluing rocks, and cautionary tales about breaking the rules. Spoiler alert, Taylor makes it clear that rule breakers wind up lonely with no friends as society's outcasts. If you're excited about bandanas, patches and badges, spending time outdoors, and learning about your civic duty with like-minded individuals, Sign up for Taylor's Cub Scouts Troop at Ducey's Market. The reward for passing your first leg of the outdoor survival training is a complimentary meal purchased at Luke's. And if you tell Taylor you are sent by talking fast, he'll throw in a Danish too. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline and we come back to Lorelai's house where Suki and Jackson are preparing the dinner for Luke and Jess and Suki and Jackson here are just so adorable they are like clearly a perfect pair they're going on about different fruits and Suki's worrying about whether Ju Jess might not eat certain things and like what's the contingency plan but of course she's already cooked this amazing meal and they're just cute <laughs> um mm -hmm. it's true and then we get jess and luke showing up apparently there was some confusion about the time they were supposed to leave sure. luke is a little <laughs> bit uh cryptic about that <laughs> um and this is where things start to really kind of go downhill <laughs> Jess is kind of inspecting things. Um, 
he's introduced to Suki and Jackson, who end up just talking about lemons. <laughs> and then Jess goes into Rory's room. I thought this was kind of like, he just kind of barges in there, which was a move. <laughs> but I guess we saw something similar with Dean, who... Well, they had like the the I, the classic meet cute moment of the running into each other and he picks up her books mm-hmm. in the hallway. Jess and Roy do not get such um, a meet cute yeah, in this moment. True. I agree. I think their second interaction is like way better. <laughs> but this first one like is a pretty it's pretty lackluster. Like they just say hello and then Jess kind of is walking around the room. He looks at her books and says, someone's into phonics, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> she, offers to loan him, <laughs> she offers to loan him a book and he says, no. Um, and then he's like, do you want to bail? <laughs> like, he just starts to like try to get out the window and Rory's like, mm, no. <laughs> he does say, um, like Rory's, Rory's trying to convince Jess to stay. And she's like, trust me. And he says, I don't know you. Um, and she's like, don't I look trustworthy? And I think this will be a parallel later on um, when, like, Jess comes to Yale and is like, I know you. Um, mm-hmm. You should go back to Yale, basically. Um, so I thought this was, like, a fun. I could imagine it as, like, the start of the idea of if they know or trust each other. It's just the beginning. But they do not know or trust each other in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me did wonder as like an alternate universe like in this moment um Jess is a bad boy he comes to visit and is like do you want to bail what if Roy said yes and she bails with him and then so begins a new like journey as the bad girl and boy of Stars Hollow (laughs) (laughs) that'd be great I feel like we do see something along the lines of that in a later episode but we'll get there (laughs) at this this point in time, um, Rory heads in to get uh, food and leaves Jess to get a soda. We see him reach in, grab a beer, and then he goes out onto the porch. Um, he's kind of missing for a little bit, and then Lorelai goes into the kitchen to get something and realizes he's not there and goes out to talk to him. She, I thought this was like very smooth. Jess has just popped the cap off of the beer and Laura's like, oh, thanks for me and takes it before you can even have a sip. I thought that was great. (laughs) I know. I thought like, what a model of cool parenting, Mm -hmm. right? Like she's not like, you should never drink beer, but she's like, takes it away. So it's clear like you shouldn't do that. But hey, thanks for me. Like I was like, (laughs) uh, you think like in this moment, Maybe this conversation will go well. Like, if anyone can get through to Jess, right? Won't it be Lorelai? Mm-hmm. She's had such a similar upbringing. Well, not similar upbringing, but she also was the rebellious teenager. And she's cool and relatable now, but it does not go in that direction at all. Like, she tries. She definitely tries. She's like, I'm the queen of everything you're trying to do right now. Like, I've been the I've, like, not gone along with my parents. I've had, the tri- like, the chip on my shoulder. I've done the surly sarcasm. I did it all in heels. And, like, I've done... I'm the queen, whatever. And he's just not impressed with this information at all. <laughs> yeah. This... Her 
going on like that made me think that perhaps she has forgotten about that actually being in that position because when you mm-hmm. are this surly teen the last thing you want to hear is some adult be like I used to be a surly teen like you and listen know, to right? this <laughs> the one thing a surly teen does not do is go around saying I'm a surly teen <laughs> yeah, like <exactly. laughs> this was actually their conversation and kind of more largely was actually my Friday night dinner critique And I Mm -hmm. feel like this is something we could debate because I'm kind of torn on it. But Mm. it was Lorelai's insistence on having an influence on Mm. Jess and Luke's relationship and how, um, like, she thinks she's instrumental to the success of Luke bringing up Jess, basically. Um, And... I think this kind of goes back to something we've said before with, like, the kind of altercations that sometimes happen between Emily and Lorelai when Emily's trying to impose how she would parent on Lorelai. And obviously, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a different situation here because Luke has no idea how to parent, and he's thrown in the deep end, and he does need help. But he also needs to figure out the style that's going to work best for him and Jess, who are completely Mm -hmm. different personality types and have completely different, like, relationship needs than Lorelai and Rory. And I kind of feel like Rory's just trying to say, like, this is what I did with Rory. This is what works. And it's like, no parent can tell another parent that this is what works. (laughs) Like, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems like a recipe for bitterness and an argument like we see in a couple of seconds. <laughs> I agree. I felt the same way as like what you just expressed. I th- felt like Lorelai was pushing her involvement in this situation and that she's viewing her role as a parent as this like position that en- enables her to like have the supreme wisdom and ability to tell Luke exactly how he should handle this mm-hmm. or to like directly go try to like mentor just herself when like she didn't ask Luke if he was okay with that I did I did feel like it was inappropriate and I like it should have easily been like she notices Jess is gone she should have just gone to tell Luke Mm -hmm. and to be like hey would you like me to go try to talk to him you know maybe hearing like from someone else could be helpful and then Luke could say no or yes to that like yeah I'm just just because she is a parent of a child doesn't mean that she should like I mean yeah like you point out Luke does need help but like (laughs) he should ask for the help or agree to the help not just be like instructed Mm -hmm. how to interact with Jess and how to parent him so when you know she kind of like Jess storms away and Lorelai comes back inside after he's kind of insulted her, um, suggesting that she's been like having sex with sex with Luke, essentially, because um, she was like going on and on about how Jess was lucky to have Luke. And clearly Jess was like he knew just how to like insult someone to where it hurts and to like um, do the like ensuring optimal like. Uh, pain so that you can distance 
other people from you and they won't want to like help you anymore. Like he is like, I will ensure my lonely independence by pushing everyone away. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anywho, like Lorelai comes back in from that conversation and Luke, I think rightfully is like, um, I'm tired of your condescension. And then Luke also lashes out at her by saying she had poor decision skills by getting pregnant at 16, which was also a step too far. It's like, it's getting messy between all three of these individuals right now. <laughs> yeah, I I just had the thought that I wonder if their interaction here and like kind of the whole Luke wanting to be able to find his own way to parent um, and Lorelai's insistence that she knows the way. I wonder if that impacts Luke's decision in a couple seasons to not tell Lorelai about his daughter, April. <laughs> mm. um, because he <laughs> like remembers how kind of opinionated Lorelai is. And it's not even necessarily that she's opinionated, but just that she like expects like oversteps boundaries yeah yeah exactly like i could easily imagine luke and april like building their relationship and then lorelei like taking april out and like telling her all the way like Mm -hmm. i don't know just trying to counsel her and luke didn't even ask and then they argue about it you know like something like that where it's like good intentions and the things she said were good points as well Mm -hmm. i think personally but like that's not really the point there it's not her relationship to have with Jess at this point it's Luke's like yeah yeah so that could be I think you could be onto something there about the choice not to really like I mean the whole April storyline is kind of a blur in my mind but <laughs> there. I have a lot to say about it yeah good <laughs> but it also seems kind of rich coming from Lorelai who just a couple episodes questioned why max thought that he should like have any sort of role in rory's life i just think it's such an interesting look in these first few episodes on like who has the knowledge quote unquote of parenting and who Mm -hmm. doesn't and it's just i don't know interesting as somebody who's not a parent i'm just saying all this from an outside perspective of course but Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We're just, you know, critiquing fictional portrayals of parenting. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) But the the big thing about this dinner is that it goes badly on basically all accounts, except I Mm -hmm. assume the food is great. (laughs) I imagine that, like, Sookie, Jackson, and Rory are having a Mm -hmm. great time in the other room, (laughs) like, eating all of that pot roast and grilled cheese. Yeah, that sounds delicious. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. But we don't get any resolution to this. We just wake up the next morning and find that Lorelai is refusing to go into Luke's to get coffee. And we get this whole bit of her sending Rory in. Um, This is also where we get the title for the episode. Um, Lorelai says that their fight wasn't any Nick or Nora. It was a Sid and Nancy kind of fight. And Sid and Nancy refers to Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols and his girlfriend Nancy and there's a great 
movie. I think it's actually just called Sid and Nancy, if I'm remembering correctly, but it's kind of like a biopic of Sid Vicious. And he died very young. I don't remember exactly what age, but like in the early years of the Sex Pistols career. And it's kind of a similar to story to like what people always say about um, like John Lennon and uh, Yoko Ono and um, Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love that like that it's this woman's fault that this man kind of went down went off the rails with drugs and mm. alcohol and abuse and stuff but it's a pretty grisly end for both of them um obviously it was not just Nancy's fault but um they they had a pretty terrible terrible end i need to watch that movie again cuz it's been like 10 years but mm. yeah that's what i remember from okay that. <laughs> and I did a very quick Google into Nick and Nora, and they are fictional characters originally in a novel, but then they were included in a film and on radio and television and a Broadway musical, these characters were. So I'm guessing the references to like the television show or movie or Broadway. I mean, Gilmore's like reference all three of those things mm-hmm. often. And from the pictures, they look very like old Hollywood. They look rather quaint and glamorous Uh. together. So I think that's why it's saying they're not like a Nick and Nora, but a Sid and Nancy, which is more like gruesome and grisly in your description. So there we go. That's the episode title. (laughs) Explained. It was was a high level fight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Lorelai doesn't think there's any coming back from it, so... She attempts to have Rory get two Danishes and two coffees. Luke obviously knows if you come in for two Danishes and two coffees, you're getting one of them for somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. And he refuses. We see um, Lorelai also trying to bribe a little kid to go in and get her coffee, which is just ridiculous. Um, I remembered the scene really clearly in my mind. I don't know why, but the whole like, Rory trying to convince Luke while Rory, Lorelai's outside and then Lorelai trying to persuade the little kid. I, like, remembered all of this. <laughs> Probably because it's outrageous. Yeah. I hadn't. That's interesting. But uh, Rory goes off to Chilton. And we also get um, Luke has had another phone call. He's just getting all sorts of uh, phone interactions this episode. Um <laughs> This one's from Taylor, and just from what we hear, it sounds like there's some trouble probably surrounding Jess, <laughs> but of course. we'll uh, find out about that in a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. Rory heads to school and does the interview with Max, which um, is pretty awkward. Neither of them really knows how to act around the other or, like, what role they are to each other now. Uh, Rory's asking, like, a series of interview questions that are very, you know, kind of reading from her list. She's not really going personal. Um, But then she does kind of just suddenly turn off the tape recorder um, after he kind of, he's been telling a story, and he kind of 
more sums it up by saying like even you know things that don't work out I still think they're worth it which is very clearly alluding to the broken off engagement so they kind of have this like I think rather touching moment where he says like I really well she says I really wanted you to be my stepfather and he says I really wanted to be your stepfather and it's like it's sweet it's something neither of them really we didn't see them say it to each other when it could have been a possibility. So the better sweetness of it now, I feel like is very moving to me. And I thought I liked it. And then they go right back to the interview, which is kind of like the the highs and lows, the emotional ebb and flow of Gilmore, like turning on <laughs> the emotions and now turning them back off. Like it was good. Yeah. Some closure, I guess. Yeah, it really was. I... It just reminds me of my critique from last week, which was mm. when Rory had, like, mentioned that Lorelai's decisions changed her life also, and this is exactly yeah. what she was talking about, and it, yeah, it does make me sad, because I think they would have been great as, like, family that Rory and Max together, because they would they mm-hmm. have been able to talk about books, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but no. Yeah, and, like, I... It is just, it's so bittersweet, as you're saying, because Max, like, asking what role he would have in their lives and Lorelai being rather dismissive about it and wanting to keep him at sort of a distance. Um, but really, like, what like what really Rory wanted was, like, a fully, like, incorporated additional parent. Like, she would have accepted him on that level and their relationship they're almost more suited for each other than like Max and Lorelai in that way. Um, and I don't know. Do we ever see Max again after this? Oh, I don't think so. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. Goodbye. Yeah. Mr. Medina. So sad. He Gone too soon. <laughs> yeah. And he's like one of the few um, like boyfriend characters who like – He's kind of irreproachable. Like we did have, we did obviously have some things to critique about him and Mm Lorelai's relationship, but he was a good boyfriend, I think, throughout. He was just like a good guy. They didn't end because of some huge fight, although they did have their (laughs) disagreements towards the end. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like just a good option that wasn't the right option I guess yeah yeah it's easy to like look back on the relationships fondly Mm -hmm. I think (laughs) than in like the episode to episode like getting annoyed by making out in like the classroom and things like that (laughs) or the proposal out of nowhere like romantic but also ridiculous but I have the rose-colored glasses on now that I'm just thinking about it Mm -hmm. um and it's over (laughs) Yeah, goodbye, Max. You were goodbye. a character. <laughs> <laughs> and hello, Jess, in the next scene, uh, which is Luke finding Jess after school to kind of interrogate him about this potential trouble with Taylor. And this was my Lorelai's Closet nomination. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier um that he was wearing kind of like a thermal long sleeve shirt Mm -hmm. he's wearing something similar here I would describe it as like kind of ribbed that Mm -hmm. material is but it's a long sleeve it's light blue and it's rather (laughs) form-fitting shall I say 
And I am looking respectfully. <laughs> um, I just feel like this is the first kind of outfit that displays Jess as like a potential like heartthrob, mm-hmm. you know, like he is an attractive young man here. I think Jess is definitely a good looker mm-hmm. and the shirt is doing him favors in that department. Yeah, I agree. He's definitely got the like mid 2000s super baggy pants, but I feel like that just helped to emphasize the he's like super ripped, I think. He's very He's like the know. lean style yeah. of ripped, which I do like actually. I'd prefer that over like a Thor steroids big muscles kind of build. Yeah. Yeah. So now we get, you know, some some ideas about dress being a romantic lead, perhaps. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. interesting we've never seen Dean in this light. And I don't think that's because Jared Padalecki is not attractive. He definitely is, and he could have been outfitted in something that would have really emphasized that. But I think one of the most attractive things about him is his height, and obviously they couldn't hide that. So, (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, this confrontation is classic, and it has one of the, like, most memeable scenes out of all Gilmore Girls episodes, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. so Jess has been accused of stealing coins from the donation basket, I guess, at Dosey's for, um, was it rebuilding the bridge or something? Yeah. Which I guess they've been collecting for for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Jess, of course, refuses to say anything about it. I thought it was interesting here. Luke really kind of shows his cards. He's saying that he is willing to back Jess up, he he's willing to, you know, go go to bat with Taylor. Not that that's a hard thing for Luke, but for Jess, yeah. if Jess will just be honest with him and tell him he didn't do it. And I think that this would be something, if I was Jess, I would t- be taking note of that, be like, okay, this is interesting. Most adults don't talk like this because um, Luke is really kind of showing that he... He is on Jess's side and he wants to make sure that Jess can survive in this town, can be like a functioning part of the town. And I think that's something that a lot of adults often, like some other adults coming into this conversation would have just been accusing Jess right off the bat of it and wouldn't take, like, wouldn't wait to find out the actual truth. So I think that's a big thing. Yeah. But Jess isn't like willing to come around to that quite yet (laughs) he but I do think we get a bit more intel about why he's acting the way he is besides just that being kind of his personality um he's saying to Luke like stop following me you already took me away from my home Mm -hmm. and my friends just stop trying and so like he admits a bit here I think like this whole time they've wondered like how does Jess feel about this like that was one of Lorelai's first questions to Luke and like that's a big move isn't that a lot for him how is he gonna handle Slars Hollow and here it's like we get a bit like oh it, it has been hard for him he does have regrets about being taken away without really being consulted about it and he's frustrated by all of Luke's like earnest attempts and his trying and whatnot um and this makes Luke angry (laughs) (laughs) yeah they walk down a little bridge over a little pond 
towards a wooded area that we have never before seen anywhere in Stars Hollow. <laughs> and as they're just like both stomping across the bridge, Luke just puts his arm out and pushes Jess right into the pond. I hope that uh, he had multiple copies of whatever book he had in his back pocket because it was ruined after that. Mm-hmm. That was my gazebo <laughs> moment, actually. Nice. <laughs> it's such an iconic yeah. scene. I can see it in my mind's eye at any point if I just want to have a good laugh. Like you said, <laughs> so memeable. And like as you described, what I love is just how it comes out of the blue like they're walking side by side and luke just like puts his arm out and shoves him off like it's not like luke turns his body and does like a full push it's just like bam right off the side like he probably didn't even plan it i just think it's so funny it's so effective just visual humor and then like the one of the um one of the next things we see is luke like frantically knocking at Lorelai's house and um like bursts in the door and he's like I just pushed him in a lake (laughs) and he's like what do I do I didn't mean to do it he just made me so angry and I just love the idea of like oh it's just so humorous like before this it had been all about conflict between him and Jess between him and Lorelai and this like very humorous scene kind of just allows him and Lorelai to get back on the same page mm-hmm. together and she's like helping him sort this out <laughs> yeah they actually have a great conversation after this I thought um mm-hmm. Luke freaks out about jam hands and how <laughs> toddlers always feel like they have jam on their hands which I think is true it's very mm-hmm. weird it's a weird phenomenon should be studied do you remember um the Gilmore guys point this out on their coverage of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. They point out, um, they point out what do they call them? Um, Paladino isms, which is like recurring tropes mm-hmm. in their different shows. And they make a joke about kids with jam ham, jam hands. <laughs> it's hard to say in Maisel, which is such a specific but accurate way to describe <laughs> what can be annoying about kids. It's true. <laughs> But Luke obviously uh, does not like children and doesn't know how to parent. So I think that um, Lorelai gives him kind of good advice here. More or less, it's just that Luke needs to plan a little bit more, kind of think through things a bit more, figure out what, you know, what his goals are with Jess, I guess, and how Mm -hmm. to uh, let Jess know some rules and things like that. In Mm -hmm. the same scene, Babette shows up frantically. Her gnome is gone. I didn't write down the name. Pierpon. Pierpon, okay. It's the gnome with a pipe. Yeah, poor gnome is missing. And I'm a gnome fan, as we learned many episodes ago. So, poor Mm -hmm. gnome. Um, Luca has an idea that he might know where the gnome has gone. The suspect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And tells Babette that it'll be back soon. From here, we kind of get a bit of um, follow through from Luke, I guess. We show up back at Luke's apartment and he's got a bag full of uh, different ways to quit smoking. He's got like the patch and nicotine gum and hypnosis and all this stuff. Like herbs. (laughs) (laughs) And he just starts throwing it at Jess. Jess is obviously Mm -hmm. taken aback. Um, Yeah. After Luke gives him all this stuff, he starts searching and he finds the gnome. But Luke is also kind of giving 
suggest some parameters like you have to tell me where you're going just like you know the basic the basic things um Mm -hmm. of course Jess does not respond to this he just gets up and leaves (laughs) but he does tell Luke he's going out so that's progress yeah throughout this like whole search for Pierpon Luke is like you get up you go to school, you'll come home, you work at the diner, then you do your homework. Weekends are for pre-approved activities. Like, you will graduate. You will return Pierpon to his yard. And I just love that that item is included on the same <laughs> level of, like, you will graduate. But following that, Luke is like, you won't fall off the face of the earth. You will not drift. I don't know if this is the right way to handle this, but this is how it's happening right now. And even though Jess is non-responsive, like you said... I feel like we get the a bit of foreshadowing that he is um, like going to come around to mm-hmm. this and that this is an adult who is attempting, you know, to look after him and make sure he turns out okay. And that I also just like the admission of like Luke saying, I'm not sure if this is the right approach, but it's how I'm going to do it with the goal in mind of like helping you. And I think it's a nice like way to end after all of like what we've talked about, about parenting advice and approaches and people acting like this is the way, Luke's like, there's probably a lot of ways this one might not be right, but like we got to try something here. There have to be rules. And I liked it. He was bold. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have a feeling it'll work. <laughs> but, Me too. <laughs> but the this the final scene after this is my gazebo moment for the episode. Yay! So Jess uh, leaves Luke's apartment and sees Rory walking out of, I don't know, Deucey's or some other store. Yeah. She went to get a folder for her article, which is so old school. Yeah, it is. (laughs) And um, he, such a dork, he does a magic trick, which seems like (laughs) almost out of, not out of character for him, but out of character for for the bad boy archetype, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Rory. But he's doing it ironically, yeah. right? Of course. <laughs> but Rory's, like, not into it. No. She never wants to see that coin coming out of her nose or ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he also, though, pulls out a book that he uh, borrowed, supposedly, from her. And it's... Um, Stole. <laughs> it's Howl by Allen Ginsberg, I think. That mm-hmm. wasn't my Rory's bookshelf. Is that yours? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, take it, away. it was. <laughs> uh, this is just, you know, um, the Howl is a poem by Alan Ginsberg, like you mentioned, from the mid-20th century. He's kind of known as, like, the poet of the beat generation. And I'm, like, less familiar with this group. In fact, I, like, make fun of them a little bit. (laughs) Like, Jack Kerouac and On the Road, the Beats, like, Rebels. Kind of like Jess, but I like Jess more than I like them, really. Um, But I do think a while back when we were discussing, like, Dean and Jess in books and, like, recommendations of reading, and Dean had, like, recommended something very, like, masculine to Rory when she wanted him to read a Bronte. Uh, I joked that like, oh, I think Jess would probably tell her to read like the beats and like on the road. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think it's really funny um, that this is the book that he chose from her. So like she'd already read it. Um, And 
I don't want to get away too much from your like gazebo moment, but the other reason I marked this for a bookshelf moment is this like um, the fact that he's taken it and written notes Mm -hmm. in the margins for her, which is simultaneously like the sexiest and most annoying thing (laughs) he could have done to me. Like the fact that you just take someone's book without asking and not asking if like they want you to write in it. Some people love pristine untouched books and other people love to like write on them, you know? But it's also so sexy for him to have like read the book and like, here's these notes I'd like to share with you. And then we can like have, we can talk about and use our minds and talk about books together. It's like, wow, okay, that's cool. (laughs) So it's like both of those things to me. (laughs) Yeah, it might be a bit different than the conversation with Dean about Anna Karenina. In which he was like, there are too many names. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing about the difference between Dean and Jess in this moment, I was trying to like articulate in my mind. I've admired Dean before. He would like read any book that Rory wants him to read, often without even complaining too much. Um, But sometimes it is reluctant. Whereas Jess like takes this book and she looks at his notes and is like, I think, well, then he said, she's like, you've read it before. And he says he's read it like 40 times. And so the, like, just Dean can, uh, Dean can't even compare. Like Jess has just already read things. He can tell her what to read. And they're actually like interesting suggestions. Like he already has thoughts on all of this stuff. He's not just reading to please Rory. Mm -hmm. And that's so much more attractive on like a friend level or a romantic partner level you know like they can just engage on a different level yeah it's like an intellectual exchange rather than rory being like a teacher kind of yeah totally yeah i was i'm not super familiar with the beat poetry but correct me if i'm wrong but the beat poets are kind of like a predecessor of like the zine sign movement the like more kind of anarchist type um or anti-establishment uh type of literary stuff which is exactly what uh Jess gets into later on and what his book is about and yeah so it makes perfect sense to me (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's a very fitting text for them to have like exchanged so my gazebo moment here is mostly just about their this is like yeah, their meet cute that, as you said, mm-hmm. the meeting earlier on was not. <laughs> this is their, like, Rory feels that little spark. I feel like this is a, like, mm-hmm. sapiosexual moment where she's, like, attracted to his intellect as well, which mm-hmm. she might not have felt yet. Um, <laughs> at least not with poor Dean or, you know, Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> that, sorry, that was... <laughs> Uh, she might not have felt it yet. You're right. <laughs> um, but I also have my Rory's bookshelf, which is when he's walking away, she calls him Dodger. And he mm-hmm. just needs to guess where it's from. He guesses Oliver Twist, which is correct. And um, I have read Oliver Twist, but I read it during a semester class when I read the entire class was Charles Dickens and Honestly, most of the plots of his books are fairly similar. The entire <laughs> class? Yeah. We didn't... It was Dickens? Yeah. Oh. We didn't read every Dickens, obviously, but... Right. But, like, that's all you read yeah. in that class. Yeah. Yeah, that would just blur <laughs> together for me. 
So I don't remember too many particulars about the plot other than um, the from Oliver, the musical and the animated show where Oliver's a cat. Um, but Dodger <laughs> refers to one of the characters who's part of this like kind of delinquent gang of mm. like young teenagers, like preteens who are pickpocketers in London that Oliver kind of naively falls in with. Um, so that's where that comes from. And, uh, and Jess here has been kind of pickpocketing Rory or just stealing outright from her. And they like smile. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you get a sense that this is a beginning. And overall, it's, there's just that magnetic attraction mm-hmm. from them. And like, not necessarily instantly, but in this meeting, especially when like he sees her from far away and like seeks her out to have this interaction. When we see he hasn't wanted to talk to a single other person, mm-hmm. you know, um, I just it's so it's so cool. It's a really great beginning for the two of them. And if I feel like it, it feels very intentional on the show's part as well, especially because the episode description is like she's attracted <laughs> to another boy and Dean's not here anywhere to be seen. But it's so cruel then that they're going to make us wait for so long for them to actually date. Like, in another world, they could have just had Rory and Dean's breakup have been final. They could have had, like, closure and she could have moved on. And then this season could have been about her and Jess. But instead, they want to do that trope of, like, you know, the longing for someone else that you feel like you can't be with, etc. (laughs) cetera. The slow burn is satisfying, yeah. but it's also, like, agonizing. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this episode has been a little bit long because I have <laughs> gone on and on about Jess, but he's finally here. We've waited so long, you know. <laughs> yeah. We had thoughts. <laughs> and when Logan arrives, I expect you'll have just as much to say. <laughs> um, Probably. <laughs> I'll have to... There's no way I can, you know, your justification... First of all, Logan's name doesn't pun very well into justification, so I'll have to think of a different word. But it will be hard to explain away the master and commander line because that is just so horrible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But we'll uh, we'll get there. (laughs) So um, don't forget to like and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, Join us over on Instagram where we post semi-regularly and send us your gazebo moments or thoughts about Jess to our email which is talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com okay see you next time talk to you about Jess and more (laughs) next week (laughs)